Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Stuart Rutherford, Head of Retail Execution Services at Investment Bank Liberum, to discuss market making and general share price formation. Prior to Liberum, Stuart spent six years at the London Stock Exchange as Head of Retail Intermediaries Business Development for Secondary Markets. During this time, he worked closely with the UK Retail and Wealth Community as well as the market makers who service those businesses. Stuart has over 30 years market experience, having started his city career with Midland Stockbrokers before moving to Smith Newcourt, who became Merrill Lynch, where he spent over 10 years. He then held senior roles at Fidelity, Nasdaq, Equiduct and Plus Markets before moving to the Stock Exchange. So first and foremost, a very warm welcome to you, Stuart, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. So let's start at the very beginning. Um, obviously, we're talking about how share prices come to be. What What is a market maker, Stuart? Well, this is such an open-ended question, Richard. As you know, it's, it's difficult. And I, I was trying to find the right answer to this and actually decided to dip into Wikipedia. And the definition of a market maker in Wikipedia is a market maker or liquidity provider is a company or an individual that quotes both a buy and a sell price and a tradable asset held in inventory, hoping to make a profit on the bid as spread or turn. You know, the function of a market maker is to help limit price variation, which we know is volatility, by setting a limited trading range for the assets being traded. I say that's the Wikipedia definition. There are so many different definitions of market maker now. Here at Librum, we're a market maker in 350 predominantly corporate stocks. That's companies where we, you know, we look after the company, where the corporate is that company. But since MIFID 2, there are different definitions of market making. So from my point of view, traditional market making is where a market maker is making yeah, a, a two-way quote on the market. And then in the more liquid securities, the FTSE 100 constituents, you obviously have, um, which I'll come on to, other types of market maker who are known as high-frequency trading firms, prop trading firms. So it's a very wide range, but really they're up there uh, to keep liquidity moving in the market to make sure there's always a possibility to trade for investors, which include retail and institutional. So how do they set a price? Well, a simple answer to that is they're reacting to supply and demand for a particular company's shares. And that really all starts when the company comes to the market through an IPO or in the case of Deliveroo, an introduction. So analysts will study a company and the amount of shares in issue and they decide what the fair value of the company's shares should be. And then you know, the, the market opens in that particular stock. And from then on, it becomes apparent whether the market agrees with the valuation or not by the amount of buying and selling that follows. So at some point, the shares will find a level. And then the price tends to react to news, events, opinions, and I guess rumors as well. As far as physically moving prices, this is done on the particular trading systems or front end, as we call it, of the, the market making firms in question. And as a rule of thumb, the more liquid the security is, the stock is, the more automated the price setting is. So in the FTSE 100 stocks and some of the more liquid stocks, it tends to be with algorithms. Uh, but in the less liquid stocks, the small caps and the aims, it will be the market makers manually ticking prices up and down through their trading system. It's important to note as well that if a market maker has a view, say that the share should be worth £2 a share, but the trading at the 150 level, it would be madness to try and move the stock to that price quickly. They'll get picked off easily. So things tend to happen more slowly once the stock price settles down over a period of time. And I think 
you know, from from this point of view, what's important to retail investors is that to look at the prices, but to know the companies, research the companies, and keep up to date with all the news and info, which I know they do. And that's an interesting point you make, because of course, an individual market maker may have a view on a stock, but the fact that there are so many market makers means that we get a, a kind of consensus price or a price in equilibrium. Just I'm just making the point that it's not easily possible for one market maker to, to disturb the balance. Yeah, and it's, it's as we know, it's not ideal for a company to have any one market maker, and it's quite rare. So minimum of two in most cases, and obviously in the small caps, you want something like four, half a dozen, just to, to make it fair. Now, we've spoken already, or in passing, we've, we've mentioned more or less liquid stocks. Phrases which our customers may have come across um, as they've been placing orders is uh, order-driven and quote-driven prices. Could you just talk us through the difference between those, Stuart? Yeah, sure. So order driven, you know, is what we call the the sets stocks. So that's the stock exchange electronic trading system, which was introduced many, many years ago. That is done on a matched bargain basis. So there's market makers in there, but they tend to be in effect limit orders. So if you are looking at the market data for an order driven stock, basically you will see the name of the stock and then the rest is all numbers, which are going to be prices and amounts. And it is, as I say, a series of limit orders in various sizes, but that probably for the more liquid stocks is the most efficient way trading those particular securities. And the depth of the book can be fairly significant, so it can go down a long way. And that is all the orders. And then at the start of the day and at the end of the day, there is an auction and that sets the the opening and closing price for those particular order-driven set stocks. Then quote-driven, which is the old traditional way, uh, on the LSEs known as sets QX, which is quotes and executions. And that is a series of market maker quotes. And there, if you're looking at the screen, you will see the broker or the market maker codes and the bid offer prices. So two-way prices, we call it. And then the size that that market maker is prepared to make that stock in. And by size, we, we mean number of shares. Number of shares, yeah. Just so listeners can picture this, you could be looking at, let's say, six competing market makers quoting a, a price and size. And above that, in terms of what you're looking at, you, you've got the old yellow strip, which, which is which is the best taken from those six. It's the best bid and offer price. And that becomes what, what they call the touch price. That's correct. And obviously, in the order-driven stocks, there's still, depending on the market data that you use, um, but in most cases, UK retail investors will see a yellow strip um, for the order-driven stocks as well, the big FTSE 100 stocks. But what's interesting, Richard, as well, is that in the vast majority of cases in the UK, retail trades are not actually executed on the stock exchange, on the order books, uh, but they're traded through what we call RSPs, retail service providers, who happen to be market makers. And then these trades are reported to the London Stock Exchange under the rules of the LSE. But the, the RSPs are there to, in effect, match or improve on the best bid and offer on the yellow strips. I think we've, we've partially covered this question, but what sort of stocks do, do market makers make prices in? Well, in the UK, the market makers tend to be associated with the mid and small cap and aim securities. But as I've said, you, you also have different kinds of market makers in the more liquid securities. In London, these firms tend to be called prop, proprietary or HFT, high frequency trading firms. 
and actually on the stock exchange, just to quote some numbers, there's almost 4,000 set securities, order-driven securities. Though many of these are exchange-traded products, I think it's becoming more and more popular in the retail world and, and basically globally, ETFs, you know, quite an important part of the structure now. So with ETFs, there's multi-currency lines. So in most cases with an ETF or an exchange-traded product, you'll have dollar, sterling and euro prices. So that bumps the number up. And then SETQX, the quote-driven securities, there's about a thousand of those trading on the London Stock Exchange. Okay. And uh, what sort of influence do you think market makers can have on market movements? Are they the sole reasons why a stock might move? I think in the small cap securities, Richard, I'd say quite a lot of influence in, in the market as such. The market will tend to focus on the company's brokers. So, for example, with Liberum, some of our corporate stocks, we obviously have a relationship with the company, with the investors, which could be large institutions or retail investors. So somebody who wants to do a large trade in a corporate stock of the likes of Librum is likely to come to Librum because we know where the stock is and the buyers and sellers are likely to be. Um, what's interesting, you know, because I know this is aimed at your customer base, in a lot of cases with smaller companies and especially investment trusts these days, retail investors can be a large percentage of the share register. And that's why it's important for retail investors to have a say. And I know that's something that Interactive Investor are actively encouraging these days, which is great. It's great for everybody. In the liquid large cap stocks, then market makers have some influence, but not to the same effect because there's a lot of limit orders in there, uh, which obviously have to be input through member firms of the stock exchange. But yeah, it's a much wider range and mix of, of orders that are going in there. Just going back to what we were talking about, quote-driven securities, I, I think our, our customers would be interested to know. We mentioned that uh, market, competing market makers will be displaying a price and size. Just taking up the size part of the equation, in, in other words, the number of shares up to which they're immediately prepared to trade, how do they sort of decide on what the size is and what happens from a retail investor's point of view if you want to deal outside that size, i.e. higher? So there's a reference here, Richard, which is called the EX, EMS, which is exchange market size. That is set by the LSE or it, it can be another trading venue such as Aquis in the small cap space. And the, the exchange sets that EMS, the exchange market size. And then the market makers can tend to trade in a larger size than that. But it's, it's an interesting point, actually, because if the market makers want to trade against each other, if one market maker wants to challenge another, then the maximum size that they have to deal with each other in is this exchange market size. So that might be 25,000, but the market makers decide that they want to display a price in 100,000. Now, the market makers in the, the quote-driven stocks, the smaller caps, uh, are there to support liquidity and prevent, you know, an element of volatility. So you can trade in a larger size, but the price will tend to widen depending on the risk taking on. So if a market maker wants to buy stock and you're a seller, then you're likely to get as close to the bid price as, as you can imagine. But if they're a buyer and you're trying to buy them, then obviously they may push the, the the offer price out the other way because in effect when they're selling the stock from you or buying the stock from you they're, they're on risk to a degree so they have to try and trade the other way 
first of all, to make some money out of it. And secondly, you know, to limit the risk that they have. So it's, it sounds complicated. It's not, but it's definitely an art and a skill. And it, it takes many years of experience to to master it and you obviously have some very talented market makers out there and thankfully the younger generation are coming through in that space as well but it's definitely an art and a skill and presumably for for the really large orders up up to the size of kind of block orders that that is that still done traditionally over the phone yeah there's a lot of um, functionality out there certainly Librem we have a product called T-Rex which is by and large trading at the mid and that's available to most retail stockbroking firms they can come through us but indeed it, it you know you can't just trade a big block of shares immediately i'm not saying you can't do it you know you can do it sometimes but usually it takes a bit of time and effort so they will tend to work orders like that but it will be a block so if a big institution is looking to place a block of shares the sales traders, the salespeople at a particular firm will probably start contacting other institutions and other holders of the stock on the register to ask first if they're interested in in buying the stock or indeed selling the stock if it's a buyer on the other side. So it takes a bit of time, but yeah, block trading is, um, in the liquid stocks, blocks is, is it, I think it's sometimes called dark trading as well. It's probably the most familiar term for it. And that is becoming more and more prevalent. But in the small caps, as you say, it, it you can't always shift a block of stock very quickly. So it takes some time and effort to do that. And uh, finally, Stuart, what are the secrets, if any, of kind of market making in stocks? And I'm sure over your X number of years experience, you, you might have a couple of anecdotes to, to that as well. Well, I'd say the response to that, Richard, is there's no anecdotes because it's a secret. But I, I think, you know, I was asking on the desk yesterday, and I think it'll go the same for all the market making firms in London, certainly on the traditional side. It's being competitive, but it's also understanding the companies and, of course, the markets and the community. Um, you know, it, it's working with the, the broken community in the UK. Uh, uh, there's an old boss of mine many, many years ago, and I'm sure he won't be listening to this, but yeah, he had an adage that everybody has to make a crust in this business. And it's absolutely true. You know, we want to be making some money, otherwise we wouldn't exist, but we want to make sure that the brokers are doing a good job for their clients as well. And the clients are getting good prices. And obviously the, the regulator ensures that best execution ensues in that case. Um, but it, it really is knowing the companies, knowing how the market's going to move, you know yourself because you were involved many, many years ago when I first met you. There's a lot of reading the news, looking at how you know the macroeconomic, um, what's happening in the market in effect to see where the market's going to move. So there's a lot involved, but it, it's it's not it's not a dark art. It just needs research and time. But it, it's definitely knowing the community and and being competitive. Absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm sure we could go on for hours, Stuart, but unfortunately we've run out of time. So thanks very much indeed for sparing us uh, some of your time. That's Stuart Rutherford, Head of Retail Execution Services at Investment Bank Liberum. And I hope, apart from those valuable insights, it's been something of a, an education for our listeners as well. And indeed, thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back soon with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.